If the Durham report that came out this week demonstrates anything at all, it demonstrates that we, the people of the United States, have completely lost control of our federal government. America is in serious peril. The entire apparatus of government is a democratic-controlled leviathan that's driving us into a socialistic world government. And no amount of lawsuits, no amount of legislation, no amount of bold reporting by conservative media seems to be able to stop it or to change the direction of it. Prominent legal scholar and a liberal, by the way, Alan Dershowitz, highlighted the Durham report as that it reveals that Americans are right to distrust the government. But I want to say this is why the founding fathers from the very beginning advised and urged against allowing much power to gravitate to Washington, D.C. in the first place. As a matter of fact, the Washington, or rather I should say the Constitution that they constructed, made it unlawful and illegal for all power to be accumulated in Washington, D.C. James Madison would say it this way, if angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. But lacking angels in framing a government which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the governed, and the next place, oblige it to control itself. A decentralized government is the only kind of government that leaves men free to govern themselves. And that was the primary goal of the Constitutional Convention. However, beginning with the progressive era, Americans have poo-pooed the idea that the founding fathers wanted a limited government. They have thrown aside the idea that we need a limited government by which to live. And they have cast aside the sage advice of founding fathers and expanded the federal government to go into every aspect, every element of every person's individual life from jobs, welfare, health insurance, and now even even what we see taking place, the corpus of law enforcement co-opted by socialists, globalists to destroy American freedom. But it is we, the people, who have allowed the federal government to operate completely outside the legal boundaries of the Constitution. So here we are. The all-powerful federal government has become, as Thomas Jefferson put it, as venal and oppressive as the one from which we separated in 1776. Now, I'm speaking about, of course, John Durham's special counsel, John Durham's investigation that talks about the FBI's a crossfire hurricane, that was his code name, for the investigation into Donald Trump. And it was without any kind of proper warrant, solely driven by the Hillary Clinton crime machine. Just the News reports it this way. Neither U.S. law enforcement nor the intelligence community appears to have possessed any actual evidence of collusion between Trump and Russia, that is, in their holdings at the commencement of the crossfire investigation. So that at the very beginning of the crossfire investigation, no evidence was there without a scintilla of evidence. Nevertheless, they launched it. And what is worse, we now know that this opposition network includes all the power levers of government. It includes the mainstream media. It includes the Pentagon, for crying out loud. The lost world of academia has always been on that side. And it's impossible now to overestimate the damage that is done by this deep state complex. And even more, 
the election process itself has been tainted by the interfering totalitarian-minded deep state behemoth. Who's able to believe that at this point, any future election has integrity? Who's able to maintain confidence that the federal government will be able to maintain or will be able to conduct a fair election? Who's going to be able to maintain that kind of belief? Because the biggest perpetrators of the biggest scam in American history involves government players, G-men, and they're going unpunished. How many of the liars and cheats of government will be held accountable? And this is really the issue. How many of them are going to be held accountable? Which of them will be punished? Which of them will lose their jobs? Which of them will be ousted from the FBI? I doubt that any of them will. But the chain of evidence doesn't stop there. It goes right into the Obama White House. President Obama himself was briefed on Operation Hurricane, or other uh, Crossfire Hurricane. He was briefed on it. He knew what was going on. He knew they were trying to derail the Trump candidacy. And yet, will President, ex-President Obama be held accountable? This is corruption at its deepest and highest level. The community-in-chief organizer, however, will he even be questioned? I doubt it. Summarizing the Durham investigation that was published this week earlier, I want you to note the following things. Number one, the massive failures by the FBI, driven by extreme liberal bias within all branches of government, began with shoddy evidence, as, it, as Durham put it, provided by the Hillary Clinton team. So willfully and criminally, it might be added, the entire Department of Justice cooperated with the error-ridden applications to surveil the Trump campaign. Without any probable cause, wholly departing from standard procedures and guidelines, the FBI wantonly rushed to utilize unvetted information against Donald Trump. It did not bother to interview people connected with false information. It wasted millions and millions of dollars, three years investigating Donald Trump and his campaign, then his presidency entirely roadblocking or trying to roadblock everything that he might try to get accomplished. And lacking any kind of, an, of evidence, these authoritarians in government, including, of course, the Obama White House, who was briefed on it, as we mentioned, openly campaigned in opposition to Donald Trump, all the while using the levers of law enforcement of the Department of Justice to go against and to take down Donald Trump. That is absolutely stunning. It's astounding. And it's astounding that we've come to this place in America. The Clinton team, in league with the government apparatus and the Democrat lapdogs in Congress, purposefully, maliciously roadblocked the Trump presidency and the fabricated idea of Russia collusion. And it's so interesting that so many people just caught on to that because it was picked up by the mainstream media, which they have also tried to roadblock Donald Trump. And they all, all we heard was Russia collusion, Russia, Russia, Russia. All of it was a bold, fabricated lie. And it was to divert attention from the scandal that Hillary Clinton's team was doing, unauthorized servers transmitting top-secret government emails, and all of it was diverting attention from that and trying to keep us in track, on track for a socialistic government. Then you add to this, Special Counsel Robert Mueller's 2019 investigation. He was hired to thwart the presidency himself. 
How many countless lives were ruined by the Mueller investigation, including Trump advisors Carter Page, George Papadopoulos, and of course, earlier, General Michael Flynn? And all the while, the compliant mainstream media kept up the drumbeat against Donald Trump. The same Department of Justice removed integrity from Trump's reelection by another malicious plot also, and against the American people, I might add, whereby dozens of FBI agents willingly and wickedly cooperated to lie to the American people about Hunter Biden's laptop. And all of this continues to go on. In the end, Crossfire Hurricane demonstrates how the deep state is willing to go, how far down they're willing to go, to destroy our beloved republic inside and out. Deep state globalists require us to submit to world government beneath the United Nations, and they didn't want anything to do with any president who's going to derail us from world government. That's what's going on here. And with all due respect to Alan Dershowitz, who said, well, they were simply good people who just got carried away. No, this is, this is, this is wickedness, the deepest level in government. It involves the levers of government. The, the entire government apparatus is what's involved here. And all of it lies on top of lies, ruin lives on top of ruin lives. Not a bunch of good people up there just getting carried away because they didn't like Donald Trump. No, ladies and gentlemen, we've lost control of our government. And the question is, can America recover? Maybe dubious. I'm kind of dubious of it myself. But it depends upon how willing we are to hold those who have hijacked the government accountable for what they have done. And how we're going to be able to do that through the minority in Congress, that may be a challenge for us. We'll be back in a moment. Now, I mentioned in the first segment the fact that our founding fathers crafted, created a limited government, and they did that purposefully because as they recognized the case from all of history, as people lose their freedoms because of the government in which they live. That is, government becomes too powerful and you cannot trust even good people with the reins of power because what happens is that power accumulates, they aggrandize the power, and soon enough, then people lose their freedom entirely. And that's the history of mankind. And so the founding fathers put it specifically into place, a government that was of limited, that is a federal government of limited ability and only gave it so many powers, the 20 to be exact in Article 1, Section 8. And the founding fathers said, you know what? We trust we the people much more than we the government. So Alexander Hamilton, Federalist Papers, number 25, wrote this. The people are commonly most in danger when the means of injuring their rights are in the possession of those toward whom they entertain the least suspicion. In other words, distrust those whom you put into power. And that's exactly what the temperature was at the Constitutional Convention in 1787. How can we structure an efficient government to do what it needs to do for a national system? At the same time, keep it small enough to protect the unalienable rights of people. That was their problem. And they answered it with the Constitution that they came up with. Founder James Madison examined the problem. And he said, he said, because, and by the way, they claim to be Christians. They said from, from the biblical point of view, man is a mixture of good and evil. That is, people tend to drift into evil actions 
and taking power where it does not where they do not belong. And so because of that, James Madison said exactly the same thing in Federalist number 51. He said, if angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls in government would be necessary, but lacking angels in framing a government, which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty is this, enable the government to control the governed, and then the next place oblige it to control itself. That's exactly what we mentioned in the first segment. That's exactly what the American people have not done. And so now we are in a position, a very, very difficult position. As recorded in American history, the proceedings of the Constitutional Convention, the writings of the founders, the Constitution is a document that expresses the power, the rights, the duties of we the people, but it demonstrates that the federal government is constrained, powers were limited, and only so much was given to the federal government. And they did that purposefully. And the reason is, of course, exactly as we're living today. The writer of the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson, tells us very simply, bind down those whom we are obligated to trust with power that our Constitution has accordingly fixed the limits to which and no further our confidence may go. In questions of power, then let no more be said of confidence in man, but bind him down from mischief by the chains of the Constitution. So he wrote in the Kentucky Resolutions of 1798. And so once again, with all due regard for the Alan Dershowitzes of the world who say that, well, there's a bunch of good people up there, but they just got carried away. No, our founding fathers with a Christian view of the world recognized that this is what's going to take place if you give them too much power. And that's exactly what we have done. That's why the United States was created as a nation of laws and not edicts of men. And to ensure that that, be stayed, that that remained that way, they proscribed the limits of the federal government with enumerated powers under the Constitution. And over the past 100 years, however, we have failed to restrain the representatives of government. Our representatives, aware of their duties under the Constitution, and yet very little attention is paid to the Constitution at all in any respect. So that's why we're in the problem that we're facing. Now, I want to mention this piece of news. This is changing gears for just a moment. I thought this was interesting. I remember Tucker Carlson talking about the Nord Stream pipeline and the United States government officials promising to blow it up, including the president, if I recall correctly. And here's a, this is a story regarding another pipeline. And this, this one is the Druzba oil pipeline that runs from Russia to Hungary. And here's the interesting story about it. There has recently been a leak from the Pentagon, no less, in which Vladimir Zelensky himself have floated the idea of blowing up the Russia to Hungary oil pipeline. He didn't want Hungary to get any Russian oil. And he was speaking with this about this with our top government officials, no less. Now, the reason was because he wanted to cripple Hungarian infrastructure. And you might ask yourself, why is that the case? Well, remember who is the leader of Hungary, and that would be, of course, Viktor Orban. Viktor Orban is a freedom lover. Zelensky is not. Isn't it amazing that we are supporting Zelensky in this unconstitutional war overseas? And Viktor Orban, the freedom lover, 
Zelensky wanted to cripple him. This is exactly this is exactly what was talked about regarding the Nord Stream pipeline. Another interesting fact is that NATO, or rather Hungary, is a NATO country. Hungary belongs to NATO, but Zelensky wanting to cripple another NATO country that is American allied country. All of this geopolitical business is much more intricate than people might just see just generally looking at it. Here's something else interesting. This was all on May 13th. That is, this communique or this leaked information coming out of the Pentagon regarding Zelensky. That was May 13th. Now, get the date. May 14th, Zelensky traveled to Germany to receive what was called the Charlemagne Award for the Unity of Europe. The Charlemagne Award it was, is apparently a, an award that awards a person for fostering the unity of Europe. But here's a man, the day before, it was leaked information that he wanted to destroy one of the European nations, Hungary, or at least cripple them. But don't fear, Zelensky was not invited to the Eurovision Song Contest in Germany. They have a song contest, and it was to be apolitical. But they said, well, they're not going to be inviting him to that. So that's the kind of man that America is helping, Vladimir Zelensky. That, that right there should tell us we have no business, no business in the war in Ukraine. There's much more to that story than meets the eye. We'll be back in a moment. All right, to find our show, you can go to Amazon Music. It's an app, Amazon Music, and the show Patriotic Pulpit may be found there. You might also find it on Spotify. And so both of those apps have this particular show, Patriotic Pulpit. And so you can go there. You can subscribe to it. If you want to support the program, American Liberty with Bill Lockwood is a website. You can still go there and have a, a, a contribution button. You may contribute. And so uh, though that's the website. Patriotic Pulpit is the show. Now, I write articles also, and they are found on the News Talk 1290 website here out of Wichita Falls. So News Talk 1290, that's where you'll find the articles, as well as the show Patriotic Pulpit. Amazon Music and Spotify are the apps. I want to talk for a few moments about democracy. I have a couple of articles in front of me by Louis Miguel. Louis Miguel writes for the New American Magazine online, and he has so many, so many good articles, but there are a couple of them here that I want I, th I thought, boy, I have to share this. And the first one involves democracy, and I think this is so important because it goes ties into what we've been talking about regarding crossfire hurricane and the problem that came up there. And so this, you know, we hear all the time that, you know, America's a democracy. The presidents of the United States, as long as I've been alive, talk about our democracy, and everybody talks about our democracy. Well, it might be interesting for you to know that our founding fathers avoided democracy. They told us they did not want a democracy. They warned us against a democracy. And they said that a democracy is the last step before you go into a totalitarian government. So we're in a democracy, apparently, and we're about to go into a totalitarianism if indeed Joe Biden continues in office as he has been doing. And why, why we cannot seem to get him out of office, even though he's destroying our country, the borders primarily. We'll talk about that in a moment. It's beyond my imagination. But be that as it may, 
part of the problem is the fact that American people have been brainwashed to believe that we live in a democracy. This statement is from the History of the World, a History of World Revolution by Eon Allen Percy, the Duke of Northumberland, and so it's from 1931. And so he says it this way. The adoption of democracy as a form of government by all European nations is fatal to good government. It is fatal to liberty. It is fatal to law and order. It is fatal to respect for authority. It is fatal to religion and must eventually produce a state of chaos from which a a new world tyranny will arise. That's a pretty powerful statement. That is, the adoption of a democracy is fatal to all of those things, liberty, law and order, respect for authority, religion, and will produce chaos and world tyranny will arise. That's exactly what's happening in the United States right now. Since the end of World War II, and arguably before that, the Western world has been sold on the concept that we live in a democracy, and this is the age of democracy. But it is not a coincidence, Miguel writes, that this is also the age of degeneracy because it's exactly what we're seeing. Lack of liberty, lack of law and order, lack of respect for authority, lack of religion, that would be Christianity, and we're seeing much chaos. The left in America, the leftist, falsely characterizing democracy as a noble system, celebrates that democratic conventions have become the norm. Yet under democracy's stint, The West has gone from being the supreme civilization force in the world to rapidly falling into the abyss of military irrelevance, spiritual wickedness, mental infirmity, crime, and lawlessness. And this is no accident. We were warned about it by our founding fathers, the perils of a democracy. For example, John Adams. Adams said, democracy never lasts long. It soon wastes, exhausts, and murders itself. There was never a democracy that did not commit suicide. Is America committing suicide right now? Yes, it is. For anybody who pays attention at all, Madison, the father of the Constitution, wrote in The Federalist, number 10, democracies have ever been spectacles of turbulence and contention, have ever been found incompatible with personal security the rights of property, and have in general been as short in their lives as they are violent in their deaths. So that's why the founding fathers said we don't want a democracy. They taught against a democracy. Anybody who reads the Federalist Papers is going to be shocked that they will say such blunt things because, after all, we've been talking about democracy since the time of Woodrow Wilson. But instead of that, they created a republic. A republic is rule by law. Democracy is ruled by popular mass. That's basically the difference. In the United States, the rule by law means the Constitution. And while most republics, including America's, have been mechanisms to ensure that the will of the majority is in most cases expressed, it is not the majority whim, but the rule of law that is supreme. Thus, in a republic, the will of the majority is sometimes thwarted. If, that, if what the majority wants is unconstitutional. But the framers embedded this feature right into, the, right into the Constitution, this feature of federal government, to protect Americans' rights, all rights, rights of those in the majority and those of 
in the, in the minority. In his treatise, Republicans, Republics, and Democracies, Robert Welch, who was the founder of the John Birch Society, wrote this regarding the framers' intent to prevent a democracy. The word democracy had not occurred in the Declaration of Independence. It does not appear in the Constitution of a single one of our 50 states, which constitutions are derived mainly from the thinking of the founding fathers of the Republic for the same reason. They knew all about democracies, and if they had wanted one for themselves and their posterity, they would have founded one. Look at all the elaborate systems of checks and balances which they established and at the carefully worked out protective clauses of the Constitution, especially the first 10 amendments known as the Bill of Rights, at the effort, as Jefferson put it, to bind men down from mischief by the change of the Constitution, and thus to solidify the rule not of men but of laws. All of these steps were taken deliberately to avoid and to prevent a democracy or any of the worst features of democracy in the United States. So here's the question. Why does a democracy inevitably lead to degeneracy as is taking place right now in America? Because this is what is the bothersome point to those of us who are Christians in this nation. Why is degeneracy growing so exponentially? Why is that the case? And more to the point here, why does democracy inevitably lead to this degeneracy? Because Democracy is a form of idolatry that supplants the laws of God with the desires of men. It is a form of idolatry, and that's exactly right. Miguel writes this, but that's exactly the case. As a matter of fact, several books have been put out. One of them by author author, uh, Schlossberg, who tells us this exact same point, and that is that democracies become idolatrous. But here's how. Louis Miguel describes it in his article. Alistair Crowley, the British occultist and ceremonial magician whose work has been influential in anti-Christian philosophies, spiritual practices such as Satanism, he summed up the teachings of himself and Satanism with these words, do what you will and then do nothing else. Do what you will and then do nothing else. That is paganism. That's really paganism. Stephen Smith a professor in California, one of the colleges in California, writes a great book called Paganism, uh, Paganism and Christian Christianity in Our Culture. And in that particular book, he talks about the fact that we are facing just paganism in America. And that's exactly what this is describing. Do what you will, then do nothing else. That's the spirit of democracy also, isn't it? Democracy knows no moral limits, no restraints. It's not constrained by God's word. It's not constrained by history doesn't learn from history, not constrained by moral morality, by tradition, by hierarchy, even by common sense. Are we seeing the lack of common sense in America? Yea, verily. Democracy is the act of handing over complete political power to the limitless appetites of the masses. And under democracy, it's not reason, it's not morality that reigns, but the hunger that can never, never ever be satisfied, or ever be satiated. It is inherently brute, irrational, animal, and base. Now, I've mentioned several times regarding, this is regarding, regarding, you might just think about racism. 
Where, what does it ever stop? Well, it doesn't. I, my answer to people is, well, it never stops. When is it ever going to stop? No, never. It's never going to stop. Now, now they're talking reparations. And it's just going to continue on and on and on. Next will be reparations for Native Americans. Next will be reparations. It's just, it just it's going to continue. It never stops because it is a form of idolatry. Do what you will and then do nothing else. A republic, on the other hand, recognizes the supreme authority of God Almighty. The supreme authority of God's word, natural law, that aligns up our Constitution. Well, that's how our Constitution was aligned. And so this was created as a republic, not a democracy. We'll be back in a moment. In this last segment, I want us to think about the immigration issue and the lack of borders in the United States and what we must do about it. I told you that we were going to share a couple of articles by Louis Miguel. Louis Miguel writes this particular article and outlines great things pertaining to what we ought to be doing to protect our own borders. And this is, uh, this is something that people better put their seatbelt on to think about what we better be doing. Because the federal government is enabling, and not simply enabling, they're actually fostering this immigration crisis. And they are actually sponsoring, the Biden administration is sponsoring the invasion of the United States. And that's what this is. It's an invasion of the United States. And the Biden administration is sponsoring that very thing. And so we are now in uncharted territory. So the government is not only abdicating its responsibility, because I want to be clear on this, it's not simply abdicating that responsibility. We'll talk about that in a moment. But it is actually promoting an invasion. It is in reality so unprecedented, so mind-boggling that detractors of the Biden regime have found themselves almost paralyzed, uncertain how to respond with anything other than vocal and vehement criticism. And that's all that we hear from talk radio, one of which I am. What are we going to do about it? What's happening? Wringing our hands and hollering on the radio about the lack of border that we have in America. And while this kind of censuring has its has its place, we are unfortunately confronted by an administration that simply is unfazed by criticism from the right. They don't care at all what we say. They don't care at all what we may, what we may talk about on the radio. And the, more, the louder that we get on the radio talking about it, the more that Biden gets up and says, well, we got a problem in America and it's white supremacy, it's white supremacy. Lockwood's a white man, there's a white supremacist. Yeah, it's just so nonsensical, but that goes back to the last segment, doesn't it? So we're paralyzed, uncertain how to respond other than this kind of vocal criticism of it. So we might bring up factual data. You might, you might look on, and I've recommended that you look at FAIRUS.org. It has the data on there. And it has been doing this for many, many years about the immigration crisis. It's a crisis that we've talked about my entire adult life. And it is now simply, it's just absolutely out of control, exponentially worse. So shielded by mainstream media, because they're all in bed with the Democratic Party, the White House is immune to any kind of criticism. It's immune to any kind of punitive action that the Republicans might threaten. They're not going to do anything. 
So in short, the federal government under the administration currently in power is not going to pull a 180-degree movement on the immigration question. Nothing is going to be done. Joe Biden and his allies are going to do nothing to stop the invasion at the border. After all, they have created it, and it is because they're all globalists, and that's the reason of it. Incidentally, let me stop there. A lot of people say, well, this is simply that to keep the Democrats in power. I, I'll say this. That, that, is, that is one of the fringe benefits of bringing these millions and millions of illegals over into this country, and that is to keep Democrats in power. But the real reason goes back and traces to the United Nations that has demanded, I said it right, they have demanded that the United States not recognize its sovereignty, not recognize its borders, and join the world community by allowing people a free flow all over this country. They have demanded that for many, many years. Even George Bush wanted to do that very same thing. Well, but back on track here. The important thing to realize is that this crisis in America calls for much more stringent measures. And what is it? And incidentally, it's not simply suing the federal government. When it comes to border policies, you know, I know I respect Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, and I respect the governors around the states. They sue the federal government. Okay, let's say that we win in the court. Ladies and gentlemen, we have already over 20 million people here, and that was, that was before this crisis began. 20 million illegals from south of the border in America already. Let's say that we win in court next year. Are we, are we going to turn around and say, oh, okay, we're going to get rid of all these? We're going to export them? You know very well that's not going to happen. So Republicans have to understand this. The federal government is not going to do anything about it. And even if we win in court, it'll be too late. If state governments don't take on the initiative, no one's going to do anything about it. So this requires a major shift in our mindset politically and culturally. Immigration has been traditionally a federal issue. After all, the Constitution states the federal government has the obligation to protect the states against invasion and protect our borders. And so our state representatives continue to go around saying, okay, that's a federal government issue. Representative James Frank is a good man, but nevertheless, he's just weak on this issue. He just says, well, that's a federal government issue. I've been saying for so many years, the federal government is at war with the state of Texas. We're not, the federal government's not going to do it, James Frank. The federal government is refusing to do it. They're actually at war with the United States. The border states are, they're, they're, they're sponsoring the invasion. So we're not going to do anything by saying, well, that's federal government's responsibility and we've got to leave it there. No, that's not good enough. So that is what I call passing the buck. Waiting on Washington is not the solution. Hoping and praying someone else does something is not the solution. So what are we going to have to do? State policymakers, I'm, and I'm sorry that we've come to this place in America because it demands a lot more stringent measures than that, saying, well, that's the federal government's responsibility. 
and it, re it requires a lot more than that. But you know what? Our representatives, they wanted to be in office. Well, now we have a war against the United States by the federal government. Now what are they going to do about it? Well, state policymakers need to get out of the inertia into which they've fallen and see that we're not living and we're not going to be living in an America that they grew up in where the federal government can be reliably counted on to fulfill its duties. And by the way, waiting for the next election to come around so that we can get a Republican in the White House and change things up. You know very well, just as well as I'm sitting here, that that is not going to be a viable solution. By the time that Biden leaves office, we're going to be invaded by millions and millions more, and they're all on the welfare system. They're breaking our backs. So that's not going to, that's not going to be a solution. Wait for a Republican to get in here. Look what happened when Donald Trump got here. Started the wall, but the Democrats hated him, <laughs> and the mainstream media hated him. So they roadblocked everything he did, and the next guy that came in changed it all up again, and here we go. And besides that, we don't have confidence. I don't have confidence in the integrity of elections. Do you? Seeing what the Durham report has turned out, showing us very clearly that the FBI, the CIA, the Department of Justice, the former White House, all of these agencies, all these arms of government, and the Democratic Party in Congress interfered in the last election knowingly, willingly, and maliciously. They'd interfered in it. So what does that mean? We don't have integrity of elections. I just wonder how someone can stand up and say, well, let's just wait till the next election. Now, I, I'm going to vote, but I don't have much confidence that we have integrity of elections there. I don't know what else to do. Do you? Well, we know that they've tainted the last election. What are we going to do about it? We, are we going to impeach Joe Biden? Well, I haven't heard that kind of talk at all. Hunter Biden's laptop, the FBI, willfully and maliciously lied about it in order to get Joe Biden, and so they interfered in the election. That's just one element of the interference. It's going on all over the country. And the American people would just say, well, let's wait for the next election. What? That's the very pointed issue. So that's not going to do it anything any either. So here's some solution. Under Governor Ron DeSantis, Florida is one state where lawmakers are beginning already to realize they have to take matters in their own hands. DeSantis recently signed into law legislation that will crack down on illegal immigration within the Sunshine State's borders. So this is from News 4 Jax reporting this. DeSantis believes that President Biden hasn't responded appropriately on the federal level to address immigration concerns, and so he has Senate Bill 1718 on the state level. Beginning July 1st, the new law will, number one, require business owners to use E-Verify to check employee work eligibility. Number two, suspend employer licenses for unqualified workers. Suspend employer licenses for unqualified workers. That is, illegals are there. Suspend the license of that employer. Number three, human smuggling penalties must be enhanced. We are seeing the the destruction of law and order in the United States. We need to enhance penalties for human smuggling, for one thing at least. 
Number four, this is from SB 1718 in Florida, ban local governments from issuing identification cards. That's same thing. That's what's happening in California. They're just issuing identification cards, driver's licenses, and mail-in balloting. That's something else has got to go. Number, four, number five, require hospitals to collect data on immigrants without legal status. Require them. Why? We need to expel them. That's why. Now, all of this, these five points, that is, E-Verify, employer licenses, smuggling penalties enhanced, identification cards from local governments, bans, banning local governments from doing it, requiring hospitals, collecting status. It's a good start. But that is not, that is not the full story here. What else must we do? Number one, border states must complete the wall. We must complete the wall. It has to be done. Number two, red states should send National Guard and other personnel to assist securing the border and not to process illegals coming over, to stop them and send them away. Number three, states must reject the federal government's lenient asylum policies and act their own deportation program, as well as to refuse to recognize the legal status granted by the Biden regime to illegal aliens. Refuse to recognize the legal status. They're illegal. They have no business here. Export them. Four, every red state must adopt laws similar to Florida's recent legislation in order to dissuade illegal aliens from settling here. That is what the five points that we just went through. Legislation banning illegal aliens from accessing education, welfare, housing is also needed. Ban them from taxpayer-sponsored education, taxpayer-sponsored welfare, taxpayer-sponsored housing. It must be done. Either that or we're going to break the back of America.